0: Yo, what's up? Uh, man, welcome back to another episode of the Where It Went podcast where we discuss the Revelation Records catalog from start to today <laughs> in chronological order. And today we are covering Rev number 004,
1: Gorilla Biscuits Self Titled Seven Inch. Greg, what do you think about this record? Oh, man. Um, I figure I'll save that. uh, I'll save that for a little later because the interview that we have for everybody is going to be hopefully as entertaining to those listening as it was for Javier and I recording it. We got to interview the classic Gorilla Biscuits rhythm section, uh, Luke Abbey and Arthur Smilios. I think what follows is like a really interesting conversation. Yeah, Um, you know, we're really nice to talk to and we got a lot of information that I didn't know.
0: Yeah. Both of us have really wanted to interview kind of, we keep saying not the usual suspects. You know, we want it to be people involved with the record, people that played on the record, but everybody's seen an interview with Siv or everybody's seen an interview with Walter, but to get these two dudes and to hear their experiences from fucking day one of Gorilla Biscuits was like such a rare opportunity. And I'm super stoked that we get to share these guys' story with everyone.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, you have, the thing about these two guys too is that they, they were in war zone. They played in token entry, um, which we we touched on actually in this interview you 'll hear some stories involving that, uh, and then Arthur was even an underdog at a, at a point um, so i mean they 've they 've been around they 've been around they 've seen enough. well, <laughs> the other thing about
0: that is that they 're still playing in gorilla biscuits too, uh, which we also talk about in the interview is the reformation of gorilla biscuits in two thousand and five and continuing since two thousand and six pretty much. Non-stop, but also not as like a fully functional band. You know, you could still see them maybe once a year, twice a year, depending on where you live. But um, it's it's cool that these guys are still doing it, and you really hear the passion for not just hardcore, but for
1: music that comes across when we Agreed. talk to them in this and, interview, and the passion for each other. Mm. Um, I mean it was inspiring to listen to these guys talk and, you know, the love that the the entire band has for each other is, it's just awesome. It's like a huge part of what I love about bands like that. You know, And it usually happens to be like hardcore bands. You know, you always hear these stories about bands where the members all hate each other. Like I love the Ramones, but you know, we all know, we all know that story, you know, with Johnny and Joey. So it's like, refreshing just to hear like these guys are friends like these guys talk outside of the band hang out outside of the band um and it's awesome so i i just want to i think we should definitely get right into this interview people are going to really dig it
0: yeah let's get into the interview all
1: right so we'll take a quick break and uh then it's time for the interview
2: (laughs) Hey, this is Sam Sumataro. I sing for a band called Drain from Santa Cruz, California. I'm here to tell you about our debut record called California Cursed, now available on Revelation Records. This summer we're going on tour with... Go to revelationrecords.com for more. And here's four seconds of what we sound like. I'm stoked to be part of the Revelation family. Let's take the remaining 26 seconds to dive into what it means and what's up at Rev. Revelation kicked things off in New York City in 1987 with Warzone, suck- Lower East Side Crew. After that, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Judge, Inside Out, Chain of Strength, and many more. The times changed in the early 90s, and Rev was there, with artists like Quicksand, Texas is the Reason, Far Side, and Into Another. There's new music from World Be Free, Constant Elevation, Urban Sprawl, Dare, and reissues of the classics from Inside Out, Side by Side, and Orange 9mm. Check out the Spotify playlist series. Uh- It's all at revelationrecords.com.
0: All right. So we are here today with Arthur and Luke from the Gorilla Biscuits. And we're going to talk about the Gorilla Biscuits 7-inch. And I was doing a little prep for this episode, doing a little research beyond the normal books that Greg and I hit for research for this. And I came across an interview on No Echo with Arthur, where Arthur talks about... Being a founding member of the Gorilla Biscuits, which I guess I kind of didn't ever really think about, you know, like who started the band. So Arthur, you want to just, you know, give us the elevator speech, the like brief of you helping to form Gorilla Biscuits.
3: It was a joke, right? So Walter and I... Okay, so I, I, I grew up in Jackson Heights. I moved to Astoria when I was 15 years old to that, because that's where my, my grandparents, my father's side of the family lived, and I moved in with them. And I got into, uh, I fell in with uh, Ernie, Johnny, and Anthony and all the token entry crew and found that there was like this indigenous hardcore culture in Astoria, which what I mean is like the kids that were born and raised there were actual hardcore kids and used to hang out, whereas everybody kind of was different from different areas and would migrate downtown. So uh I got my first job at Walbaum Supermarket, and there was they were like, "Wally's gonna train you." I'm like, "Okay, what does he look like?" They're like, they started giggling, like he looks just like you. So I see this weird,
1: <laughs>
3: walking <laughs> down, like, strutting with these duck feet and like these cuffed jeans and a crew cut, and I say, "Hey, are you Wally?" He turns around, and he smiles, and it's like mouthful of silver, right? Because he had braces. He's like, "Yeah," and we, you know, we we, we became fast friends, and he just was like, you know do you where do you go to CBGB's I said yeah so I invited him to hang out and uh he was saying you wanted to do a band because I was playing guitar for Token Entry at the time and I like the guitar but it's just you know oh such a you know such a like, settling instrument for me I much prefer the bass but anyway Walter was like hey we should do a band we should do a band and you could play bass I said okay fine 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 so we started this and there were all these like joke songs and Ernie was, uh, Ernie was playing drums and uh, nobody was singing. So then we were hanging out at this place, the pyramids, uh, which is... So basically it's this Con Edison plant in Northern Astoria where we used to hang out and there are these truncated pyramids. I'm not kidding. And we would go there and we'd skate these things or they would and I would hurt myself. But uh, then like the Jackson Heights kids started hanging out. We ran into them through, I don't remember exactly how, but it was this guy, Danny Zek, who's still a really good friend of ours, Gus Pena, Siv. And they were all hanging out at the pyramids one night and uh, we were listening to Bad Religion, uh, "The uh, How Can Hell Be Any Worse? And Siv was singing along to We're Only Gonna Die. And we were just kind of taken aback because he could really sing. And so uh, I think it was Ernie just suggested. He said, "Hey, why doesn't he sing for the band?" And that was it. Okay, cool. You want to sing for the band? Cool. Yeah, that's it. And that's how it started. That was the original. And Ernie was still drumming until we had this this other guy named GM Two, who was uh, he was uh, he was he was um, he was there was an we paid homage to him on the on the on the seven inch because there's a little song called GM Two. His name was George Mangasopulos II, and he had on his drum set he had his little, uh, his little monograph where it was kind of, you know, the letters on the the Greek style letters on the coffee the old coffee cups that say it's our pleasure to serve you. Well, he made a monograph of G M and a Roman numeral two because he was George Mangasopulos II. And I mean, I kind of had to tip my cap to this ego of putting like, you know, you're. You're, you're putting your monograph on your drums, you know. I mean, Ricky Rocket did that, you know. And uh, anyway, he was he was your drummer <clears throat> until he got on Walter's <laughs> nerve. <laughs> he had no background in punk rock and hardcore. Bless him, he was a good guy. And he, but he would always <laughs> he would kind of speak in half sentences. So he would just go up to Walter and he would say. <laughs> he would say, hey, Wal- this is actually something to say, hey, Walter, uh, we should cover Don't You. Walter's like, what are you talking about? We should cover Don't You. Don't you what? Uh, don't you forget about me. And Walter, you just, could just, just see Walter just losing it. And like, no, we're not going to cover that. We're not going to cover that. Anyway, so, uh, you know, that was that was the original, original lineup that didn't really play any shows other than, than GM2's um, garage on 31st Street and 20th Avenue in Astoria. And that was so the then,
0: first. so then, Luke, how did you wind up coming into contact or into the sitting on the throne in the Gorilla yeah. Biscuits?
4: Um, well, there was, I mean, after, so after that, after what Ar- Arthur's talking about, I mean, there was a period of what, maybe six months or so? Didn't Sam, I mean, Sam played a show or Sam played with you guys?
3: Yeah, Sam got, Sam got in. Like got that.
4: Up. Right. Played so, the, that show at the Right Track Inn, that Bertha Unity show. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I don't really remember how I got in the band, to be perfectly honest. I know that um I know that I remember going on a road trip, uh, like a road trip with Youth of Today and Crippled Youth, like right around the end of 86, that Siv and Walter also went on. We went up to some show in Connecticut. I wanna say that was probably, that was maybe where we um that was maybe where it happened or something. I mean, I, I don't even remember. Like, I, I remember going to that Birthday Unity show, and I thought that the singer of Gorilla Biscuits' name was Sid, and that Sid was Gus. <laughs> I won't tell him that. And so, I think there was. I won't so tell I him know, either of those things. But I don't really remember how, like, the actual uh, talk or interaction. You know, I don't either. I don't remember that. I, I remember how Sammy left. But I don't recall how you came in. Right it would and it was something right around the beginning of January because I do remember going I remember the first time I uh, practiced with you guys at Giant um, and we played like I don't know we just played a few like old songs and um, but I don't like there's there's I don't know there was so much kind of like at least like personally there was so much kind of shifting around from band to band and yeah. all these kind of like this kind of like, like big transition from like a lot of like old guys I used to hang out with into this whole kind of like new scene and um, it all kind of swirled in there. Um, but it was all relatively quick. Cause I remember that it was only a few practices that we were doing that. And you guys were playing in Warzone too. And I went with you guys after one of the first GB practices that was early 87. Dude. Yeah. Right. I went after after GB practice, we I went with you guys tagged along to the Warzone practice over at tu Casa. The, right. And then by the end of that practice, I was in Warzone 2. So it was like <laughs> within a couple of weeks all of a sudden you me and Walter were in GB and Warzone together. It was And I was also uh, in Tokyo Yeah. Yeah. That's, exactly. that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it was. We everybody played
3: in like multiple bands. Oh, I'm in this band now.
4: Yeah. yeah, I don't. But I. But like the actual, like you know, it's it's. I can remember most of like how this started or these kind of things. I've been racking my brain for like what was like you know what was the first thing who talked to who first or whatever. I mean, I want to say it. It was probably you. came through Dylan or something. But again, and, well, I don't yeah. remember.
3: And, and Walter to the band. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, because I remember the reason that Sammy we asked Sammy to leave was because he was too little, and he couldn't play the whole set. He would get so, you t- gotta, so we're like, we
4: need somebody really big, <laughs> <laughs> somebody much older. <laughs> yeah, Sammy admitted.
1: Sammy said when we talked to Sammy, he was, and I've seen him say it before, like in interviews, <laughs> that he was terrible at that show. I don't know if there's any footage of it. And for me, sad. as a fan, it's hard to picture him terrible. Being terrible. I mean,
3: we, we were all terrible, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we know, played you know, Mr. just Sa- key song at Birth of Unity. We played I
4: still for Mr. remember the key
3: song. The like how good time,
4: could we have been? Check this out. The first time Sam and I met was when Sam was playing in this band called Noise Police. And I was playing Me. in this band called, with a, uh, anyway, I the first time I met Sam, he came, him and I think Matt Pincus came over to this like sort of punk house where we were playing and uh, where my band like sort of hung out and practiced. And I remember we were like, he would play a little bit and I still remember, cause he would be playing the fast beat like, you know like double time like you know like playing like the real hardcore beat and i was and i still remember being like oh it's way easier if you just go like this like ba-da, 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 ba-da. <laughs> i think i, think I might have fucked him up there for a minute
1: because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his parent he was telling us his dad and his grandfather are drummers yeah.
3: his oh, grandfather yeah. was a big band drummer his dad is like jazz and he's learned afro-brazilian jazz everything yeah,
1: yeah like his dad yeah, I mean, drummed on uh The Beastie Boys, "Hello Nasty," like one of the songs on there. I remember, yeah, I remember. Sam said something like, "Yeah," he said that
4: play percussion stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, and he said that when they listed it, they put him as like whatever his dad's name is, and then in parentheses, Sammy's dad. And his dad was like, "Why did they have to put Sammy's dad here?"
4: (laughs) 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 Sounds about right. No, he's got he's got he's got a cool thing going on too. Also, just you know, he he's uh, he's left-handed and he plays on a right-handed kit. Yeah. So would be sort of like the drummer version of like what Hendrix does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everything's flipped, you know? So uh, it's real, um, it, it's tricky. And it also opens up a whole lot of other kind of uh, musical avenues that like people on a, you know, who are situated on a whatever, right-handed, right-handed guys and right-handed kids don't get to, you know?
1: Yeah, so at this point then when the, the demo, the Gorilla Biscuits demo, is the lineup Arthur, Walter, Siv, Luke? No, or it's, who, no it's, Ernie it's playing Ernie drums. Yeah. Ernie drums on it. Okay. Ernie's
3: playing drums. We did that at Furies in like two hours. Um, yeah, yeah, we did it with, uh, Walter played my Stratocaster, because uh, he had a PBT-60 guitar, and he's like, I may as well play a Stratocaster. Um, I played bass, uh, Siv sang, and and Ernie played drums, yeah the demo. I, I got to get a copy of that demo. I bet Sam has Ernie, it.
4: Ernie's, uh, Ernie's drumming on that is phenomenal. Is it really? I haven't heard it in forever. I think so, man. Ernie, I I always thought Ernie <laughs> was one of the like the smoothest, like swingingest drummers in the scene, man. You know what he I mean? Was. He had this cool thing going on and, uh, you know, especially, I mean, you know, with his, with his sort of personality too, it was very, uh, it was, it was great. It was, I thought like, I mean, when I saw you guys with him, um, it was like a huge part of it to me, you know? Well, yeah, He's got a
1: style like, and he's super talented, you know, That's gray it. area. He was playing he guitar. Do
3: yeah. yeah, Ernie's one of those people that would frustrate me because and I mean this in not, ne- not ne- any negative way. I love him. And I used to tell him that he would just pick up an instrument and within a couple of weeks he'd be serviceable. And then with like a half a year, he'd be very good. And then, you know, within a little longer than that, he'd be proficient at it. And, and I remember when, uh, when I first started hanging out and, uh, he would come over and he'd hardly ever touched the bass. And then, you know, he gets the concept of what each instrument is supposed to do. So he can mechanically play it, which is one thing, but he understands how to play each instrument. And he's got a great voice too, as well. So, he um, you know, he, Ernie's just one of those rare talents. He can he can pretty much do anything. And, and uh, I mean, look at his other
4: <laughs> too. His, Big talent.
1: <laughs> so yeah. I always wondered, was that like, was that sort of, well, you see, you were in Token Entry too, like, but Token Entry was more established at that point than Gorilla Biscuits. Was that like kind of a, I guess a big deal that you guys were doing this new band with, you know, at that point, Walter and Civ, nobody really knew who those guys were, right? Like,
3: Well, um, the thing was, I mean, Token Entry was weird at that time too, because like you know, the guitar player at the time was very much, he got upset with Ernie and me for doing other projects and, it's like, guys, you know, we're not we're not Led Zeppelin under contract to Atlantic Records. And you know, this is the hardcore scene. This is what we do. We play, you know, with with our friends and whatnot. So uh I mean it was just, you know, it was just one of those things where I suppose the way youth are today, their relationship to uh, crippled youth was. Token entry initially was like that with Gorilla Biscuits. You know, it was like the first Gorilla Biscuit show that wasn't at a in a basement in Queens was at CB's opening for token entry. Um you know, I didn't play that show too, by the way, because of the aforementioned, I wasn't allowed to play it. Somehow, Ernie yeah, was uh, awesome. somehow Chris Ernie Bruno was played. Yes, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. It was um, Walter's friend from uh, from Rockaway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like surfer-looking dude. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. But you know, what the funny thing was, is that it was only it was a selective uh, application of the law. What is that? A, a Fourth <laughs> Amendment violation? because Ernie was allowed to play drums, but I wasn't allowed to play bass. And I was standing there on the side of the stage thinking something's wrong here. you know. So I didn't play that very first show, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's what it was. It was token entry very much, you know, had a bit of a, a, a following and was a bit established in playing. And it was, you know, here's our little, our little, you know, brother's band and, and whatnot. And then, and, you know, it's It kind of became its own thing once we realized that Walter wasn't just funny and he could write more than a joke song
1: yeah I was gonna say I love the story I I think it was an interview with you where you talk about Walter you know now we know him as Quicksand and yeah. Rival Schools and all this amazing music but you're like he was a guy that carried his guitar in a trash bag on the yeah. subway
3: yeah yeah yeah. he showed up for the first G.B. beaver. <laughs> You know, you have these images in your mind yep. and they're just indelibly there and they're you're, they're never going away on your, and on, they're like in your hard drive, like it can't be deleted. Him standing on my street corner of 36th Street and 20th Road, <laughs> getting off of a skateboard, holding this garbage bag, the black garbage bag with the top three frets and the headstock of a P60 <laughs> P- sticking out and it only had five strings. It was missing <laughs> it was missing the high eastern walter why don't you bring the case oh man it weighs so much because (laughs) because it has a built-in amplifier in it
4: some things change not everything
3: though (laughs) he showed up remember he showed up last winter with a guitar and no and no
4: case remember that well luke i i i think i think one of my down at rivington studios remember he came in and he just had the guitar in his hand, and we were laughing I, I, like twelve. I, I like better our practice in Rancho Cucamonga when he showed up with all the with all the cables around his neck. <laughs> but anyhow,
1: that's so fun. That yeah. story always <laughs> stuck out at me with the trash because I can picture it because that's totally something that like a teenage kid would do. Well, what know. about
3: a fifty year old man?
1: Yeah, this is that, not- that's <laughs> different.
3: I can't. I can't explain I that. Because but he, I mean, does, you know, he, still, he still does this, and it's sincere. There, it's not, he's not trying to be yeah, funny.
4: It's just there's a lot of. I mean, like it's funny because when we were just we were just talking about before Arthur got on about like uh, just sort of this stereotype, like this sort of like chronic disorganization that we have, and it just. Uh, but it seems to it. It's like it works. You know, it seems to work for us, and it kind of always has. You know. I think if we were, uh, you know, any time that this band has tried to sort of be like, uh, you know, sort of like kind of hemmed in by like what a real band should be doing, it's like, no. no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the humor for me as as like a kid, especially the humor. Side the, the, the humorous side of Gorilla Biscuits always was super attractive to me. Like I loved seeing like the great. the promo pictures of you guys like doing the, the dancing and stuff and like just That's the great. goofiness. Like I, as a teenage kid living in the suburbs of Philadelphia, like that was just getting into straight edge and hardcore. It was so relatable to me. Yeah. Um, and well, we weren't cool.
3: And what were we going to do? Like I, I, I know for me personally, to me, the standard of cool was opening up uh, Victim in Pain and seeing Roger. You know, with it and but we weren't that guy. None of us was that guy. And so what are you gonna do? You're gonna try at that and fail and be you know. Walter taught me something really when I was when I was young by, by example, and uh I wanted to be the cool guy, like so freaking badly. And I was watching him one day and he was just using what he has, which is his humor and his weird body and being funny, and I was like, That's that's it. He's got it. Just use what your gifts are and that's it, you know. So what? look at us.
4: There's Remember? yeah, it's it's what do we mean? Yeah, like imposterous tough guys? No, I think I think the authenticity is, is key. You know, you, you take what's on your plate and you you work with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're yeah. <laughs> Like <laughs> we we got a crazy plate. <laughs> hey look, I put it I
3: just you know, one thing I've said is that for thirty, what, thirty-four years now, I just have never stopped laughing. Never. Yeah. I was just, you know, I mean, every so often I'll just sit there and you know, how, you know how memories come to you and for no reason and there's an association with something and I'll just start laughing. Well, my, my wife will just, what are you laughing at? You know, I was thinking about the 2007 tour in Europe and, just, you know, like, and Luke did this thing or you know, Walter did this thing and I'll just sit there and I'll laugh as hard as if it were happening at that
4: moment. And uh, you know, I mean, you had five,
3: my God,
4: I mean, well, I mean, you know, it's cool that you point out the humor because, I mean, I think that, uh, <clears throat> you know, humor is uh, it, 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 it's 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 a pretty uh, it's a pretty expansive thing. It's not it's not just about like you know laughing and you know like goofiness and fucking off. I mean, there's something very very like uh, there's something very meaningful in in humor you know it's like really really influential and i think it's a serious like um it's a way it's a it's a real way to communicate you know and i think that um it that is it's uh it's it's an it's an underestimated or not underestimated but it's an undervalued kind of quality i think a lot of the time in terms of like um, like in terms of music as if You know, the silliness or the humor, um, you know, automatically, you know, then denotes that, well, then they're not serious about real things. It's like, no, it's like it's about part of it is not taking everything so seriously, being serious about what you're doing, but having a good time and like enjoying these kind of things. And um, I think, you know, that that part of enjoying and fun and humor is uh been just absolutely crucial and instrumental to like this band from i mean from the second that i saw them and from the second that i've be you know been a part of it you know and throughout it and i think you can see that when we play and i think you know and more and more it's like you know i see i see a ton of bands and i see tons of great bands and you know and people having a great time i rarely see any other band where there are that many people laughing their asses off for an hour straight while also like having a hardcore show. And smiling.
1: You you guys reminded me of like sick of it all. I I feel like sick of it all is like the same way. Like they had always had a little bit of a sense of humor. Totally. Um, I mean,
4: Hey, I, I, I gotta give it, I gotta give it to New York bands. I mean, for as far as like the element of just like, humor and just reality and just no bullshit and just like authenticity and you know i mean yeah sick of it all i mean fuck even af i mean goddamn vinnie stigma i mean you know yeah murphy's law i mean you know i mean every band you know
1: anthony like, common oh my god it's
4: <laughs> like i mean it is like i mean my god you could you could you know you could turn the new york hardcore scene into like the new york comedian scene yeah. you know what i mean and it would be just as like viable and influential i think
0: well it's interesting that you say that because i grew up in orange county california and so my view of new york hardcore was agnostic front and gorilla bis- or agnostic front and chromags it was like right. kind of hard kind of dangerous and then you take a band like gorilla biscuits which is the complete opposite of that and that's what makes it so dangerous. accessible <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I well, mean, I'm do, scared right now Named after a drug. Yeah, you're, it's <laughs> going to be a little bit dangerous. But I, I did really want to touch on that. And I'm glad that you guys brought it up. You two, because Gorilla Biscuits in my house is something that my wife listened to independently. And my kids, I have an 18 year old, a nine year old and a five year old. Yesterday, I put on uh, YouTube. I was scrolling through YouTube trying to look for any Gorilla Biscuits interviews or whatever and I put it on the Garden Amp show and my mm-hmm. five-year-old goes hey we were at that show huh and I was like wow Great you show. fucking remember that you were there. That's <laughs> so cool that you know this little child remembers the band, yeah. the name, the energy and I've kind of, I've stated this before, even on this podcast, for me, Gorilla Biscuits is like in the starter pack of hardcore because it is something that is, it's not dangerous again. And it, it's fun. And it, anybody can pick up this record and be into it.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's very inclusive. I mean, taking, you know, to kind of taking a cue from like sort of like seven seconds or something. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there's no reason why that, you know, no pun intended. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's,
4: I mean, there's something so good in hardcore that like, why should it be limited to like a bunch of like, you know, like a bunch of like tough guys. I mean, not necessarily like, not that there's anything wrong with tough guys or whatever, but it's like, no, I mean, it's like, it's for kids, you know, like, you know, girls, boys, you know, everybody, you know what I mean? Right. And it's like, if you can kind of tap into, I think, You know, I mean, first of all, you gotta, I think you gotta be a decent band, you know what I mean? There's, (laughs) you know, I mean, to, to sort of bring people in, but I mean, that, that element of like, you know, all this, all the talk about, you know, like everybody's a part of it, unity and all this shit. Well, let's, let's do it, you know, let's, let's include everybody, you know, there's no reason why, you know, there's no reason why this shouldn't be accessible to anybody who who's there, you know? So my thought
1: on. No, I I completely agree and I think that's why like like Javier's mentioned many times that gorilla biscuits are like starter pack hardcore and it's not in a negative connotation at all. It's like no, I, I think, always said like to me I would give right. a kid, I mean if we're talking CDs was what I first, you know, in the 90s, but I would give him Start Today and I would give Minor Threat complete discography and that's I'd say this is where you start Come back. Report back later.
3: Well, I mean, it just to, you know, that says it all. Because you know, to me, when I got into it, it was minor threat. It was bad brains. Um, it was for New York. It was victim and pain. I so guess. I mean, to be to be you know even considered with it with that company is pretty is pretty um, massive. Yeah, it's, um,
4: it's it's weird, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, because to me, it was you know, it's all <laughs> about like with New York again. It's all about, and I've said this a million times: is a, is victim and pain to me. There, everything you know somebody asked me what are the top 10 new york hardcore records it's like well one through five is victim in pain six (laughs) six is victim in pain um and then we can go through seven through ten because i mean everything that record is just it still is it's what 13 minutes and uh it's like everything about that record is just it's shocking it's the lyrics are amazing
1: um perfect
3: It's a great record, it's It's a great great record all around anyway, but to be, to be considered with that and minor threat, and I remember when this started happening and it was just kind of, just, just kind of knocked me sideways, it was during the Civ days, some, some kid came up to me and they're like, hey, you know, they kept asking about GB in the early days of Civ, and I would tell them, no, I don't think that's going to happen, and one kid said, I don't think you understand, I don't think you understand the start today is now what um, in my eyes is. I was like, hmm. you know, I was like, first of all, that's that's blasphemy, from you know, in the heart, you know, the hardcore religion. That is, you 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 know, the, the you know, the, the Lord Ian is going to strike you with th- you know, lightning bolts.
1: So I wanted to ask. So you mentioned you did the demo at, at Furies, of course, and I know you mentioned um, uh, Victim in Pain. We know Don Fury did that. So you guys go mm-hmm. in then for the seven-inch as a four-piece, right? Like I know yeah. I was reading something with uh Alex and he said he joined around the time of the recording but he was like he said he didn't feel like he didn't want to like I guess I don't know make make upset the apple card or whatever the phrase is and like say like I want to play on the record like he made it seem like he kind of just was indifferent to playing on it but
3: that sounds about right I don't know what it, Alex's perspective was I will tell you how uh Alex joined the band um, at least from how I, my, my experience Walter came up to me and he's like, Hey, you know that guy, Alex? Yeah. So, um, I kind of want to ask him to join the band. Are you cool? He went up to each of us individually. And, yeah. uh, he's like, are you cool with this? I was like, well, can you play guitar? Walter goes, I don't know, man. I just, I think <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm cool. with I'll sip with it. He's like, Sib's cool with it. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm cool with it. So that sounds about right and knowing Alex and
4: and his I think it was right around the Yeah, I think it was right around the (laughs) seven inch time. That all that all sounds sounds right. Because he's on the seven inch.
3: Because on the seven inch, I played I played bass, but I also played second I played some of the guitar on that. So Walter played guitar, I did some guitar tracks and I played bass. And if you look at the back of the seven inch, it was one of the weirdest little G B periods. So I wasn't in the band because of the whole token entry thing where I wasn't allowed. So Eric Fink was playing bass in that, in, in that interim period, but then I rejoined yep. the band and for one show I played second guitar and, and Eric was playing bass. And if you look at the back of the 7-inch, I'm playing guitar, I'm not playing bass.
4: That's then
3: right. they moved me back to bass. Eric was out of the band, I moved back to bass and then we asked Alex to come in. And that's when the classic lineup happened. It was right around the time of the release of the 7-inch, but the 7-inch was recorded without Alex.
4: Okay, yeah. it was just a he's porn. on it. I think it's on. Uh, what is uh, he? He's the guy singing the backups on "Hold Your Ground" by himself. Hold Your Ground. Oh, oh okay. Is that how it's his voice? Yeah, yeah. That's so, great.
1: Speaking of speaking of additional vocals, one of the questions I have is how Big Mouth Rabies. How did that come about, and what is Bit of Bow?
4: He just made it up. Was, up. Yeah, that was. I remember asking because I rem- I remember I asked uh, him to. I think I brought that up. Um, cause I was still like fully in war zone at that point. And then also getting Jay crackdown to do finish what you started. And that was just basically like asking those dudes to do it. Ray came in to do backup vocals and just was like, he was like the, he was just, he came in and like full comedy mode and just tried to sabotage everything. I still remember going (laughs) through like all the backups on it and he's just like, saying stupid shit and funny stuff and trying to get everybody to crack up you can hear it on no reason why in uh in the backups uh you can hear him like holding it longer no reason like the backup you can hear somebody like holding it purposely a lot longer than everybody else and every time he do it he'd just be looking at us laughing and it was uh yeah it was that, i think that was just you know hey come down and do this you know
1: that's that's awesome like yeah someone yeah. my friend uh we, we when we give instead of shout outs we'll, we say bit of bow because we're like <laughs> that's our th- so we'll say bit of bow to my friend uh perry Shaw he uh was the one that was like ask about like rabies at the beginning and i was like yeah yeah i'll ask um because i never and i didn't know when i first got the record that that was him i didn't know Warzone or anything at that point
4: so if i had if i had to really like if i had to really analyze it I don't really think he was saying Bidip Bo. I think he was just tr- sort of like rolling Bo or something like that. But, but then it was written down. Like you have to, you know, like you have to phonetically write down that. And I think uh, it turned into Bidip Bo. And, you know, here we are. No, you think he was 30 just 30 something starting... years later. <laughs> Maybe you're right. God. It's just right? so
3: funny because, the, the you know, after so many years, the mythology kind of supersedes the,
1: your honestly w- memory.
4: What the fuck is a bitip?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I have yeah. no idea. I I'd never, I never heard it before. You know, was a bit the first of time Yeah, yeah.
0: bitip boater rabies.
1: So rabies the different. the seven inch first Absolutely. came out and had a different mix, right? Like that's something I don't have an original of it, but I see all this stuff about the first pressing of the seven inch had a, a different mix and then had to get remixed. Is that really, i don't
4: remember that do you luke Oof. i don't know no i mean i know we did i mean start today went through a whole bunch of yeah. that pro- was those was the gorilla biscuits
0: seven inch the one where the pressing plants like closed down and they had to get it remixed for the subsequent pressings maybe or remastered i know I there was a weird it's lost yeah, to the yeah. annals of time it's, it's so it's so long ago i'm i'm like blown away that anyone in any of these bands remembers any of this stuff 30 years ago. I would remember
4: that. I don't you either. Be the guy. I yeah. mean, I know that people like talk about like, oh yeah, the seven inches with the Luke drawings on them. And I have no <laughs> recollection of any of, <laughs> any of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. You know,
0: there, there's so many presses and versions and yeah. weird stamps yeah. and the Todd youth label and the 12 inch, you know, European right. one that, we try not to go too far into like the collectible aspect of these records but this i've seen like full collections of the gorilla biscuit seven inch and it's so crazy that people put that much time effort money into collecting this thing and it's 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 wild looking especially for the seven inch it's
1: it's
3: pretty you know it's pretty cool yeah it's cool it's just like so foreign to me i'm just i was never a collector of things and You know, I was like, oh, I can can listen to the music. I think I have,
4: like, I think I have, uh, I think I have one Gorillabist, like one seven inch with purple writing on it and one test pressing. I think that's all I got. Something like that. I I don't think I have have any. You know what I mean?
1: I think I have one (laughs) copy. I, I only had it on CD until the past few, like, you know, that's how I first got it. it was I think the CD might have had the demo on it. Well, the CD has, like, all the extra
0: tracks. You know, it's got the, the 7 inches. it ends, uh, finish what you started, but then the CD has got, like, Gorilla Biscuits on it, and it's got, you know, maybe oh. some live stuff. So when you guys went into the studio, did you record a bunch of stuff, and then whatever wouldn't fit on the 7-inch then got put onto the CD?
4: um maybe it you know, might have two, been was it taken two hours? songs we recorded for the two comps, songs with eric right? that like i think got put on one of those that never got released on anything else like an older version of hold your ground and that song short end of the stick
1: yeah they're both um, on there
4: yeah and that's uh that was that was that was that w- that was that weird phase when it was uh when arthur was not in the band and it was uh we were four piece with eric playing um and we had those two songs. I think we may have, may have had one other song that was written then that never got played or recorded. Um, yeah. So speaking of the
1: Buzz – well, because the Buzzcocks cover was on uh, the Where the Wild Things Are. Yeah, that was the Bill right? Wilford cover, right.
4: yeah.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Biscuit Power was on um, that Rebuilt – was it Rebuilding, that comp? I always forget was on that another we,
2: compilation. We we recorded
4: that was uh we'd finished that was at for the start today recording and I think we had just finished everything and we're like fuck it let's just play through that and we were just messing around. That's why like all the lyrics everyone's screaming and just you know just like it was I don't think we were expecting to put that on anything but I think it just came out kind of cool and uh man that's a that's a that's a fun song to do.
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of of interesting lineups my first like visual experience with Gorilla Biscuits is something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast and that's that uh, VHS tape that was Gorilla Biscuits sick of it all agnostic fronts at the Ritz and the lineup of Gorilla Biscuits on that show was Civ uh, Walter on bass Tom Tom Capone Capone on guitar Porcel on guitar with long hair and then i i guess sammy on sammy yeah. so by 91 was there just like you guys were totally gone from the gorilla biscuits lineup or i mean i know it there was like so much you know I interchangeable in and all those bands Santana,
4: but...
3: <laughs> walter, i think walter has a happy monday sticker on his base too at that period so that kind of mm-hmm. just tells you what was going on at the time
0: yeah yeah
3: it was that whole Manchester period mm-hmm. um Yeah, I I mean, I was, yeah, we were, Luke and I were not in in the picture for a while. Um, And it was actually interesting because it was 92 that that, uh, we did the final show as a four-piece with Sam at Marquee. I think that was early 92. I think that's what yeah, it was like spring ninety two, if I'm not
1: mistaken. So you were you played bass for that show?
3: That last show, yeah, yeah. Um Siv or Walter called me up and they were like, Hey, we're just gonna we're calling it quits and we think you should play. I was like, All right. Um and somebody got stabbed at that show Because oh. I, I my personal journey was that I stopped going to shows. Uh around eighty nine or ninety, things started getting very violent, very weird. And it's the it, you know, the whole spirit of that the scene that I loved was kind of to me, gone. I got jumped at a show outside CB's, and just, it was so um, it was very representative. Strange time.
4: What's right. that? Strange time. It was a weird, weird Yeah, I mean, I was, in
3: co- I was in college at that point. I was just kind of like, this isn't what it was. And, and I stepped away and then we did that last show, I remember. And uh, during the show, I felt so good. And then somebody got stabbed and I was like, oh yeah, that's why
1: oh man that's That's why i walked
3: away and i had a gorilla biscuit show come on man
1: yeah yeah like it and it's it was crazy for me i don't want to talk too much about like the end of an end of the band because i figure that'll probably be nice to say for something else but but um it was crazy like i heard the seven inch in 95 and 1992 even when you guys ended as a fourteen-year-old, that was like a hundred years ago. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Like I'm, it was like
3: I'm condenses oh, as you get older.
1: Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, they're done. And then you think about, I guess, too, what was going on in 1992 that got me into underground music was like grunge. You know, yeah. like that was like what was popular sub pop stuff. And yeah,
3: that was good stuff. Yeah, I dug it. I dug that stuff.
0: <laughs> so then you fast forward to like 2006. <laughs> Yeah. right the the first really big reunion tour and there was the uh at the matinee seven inch
3: i love that song
0: I just that were both of, of you totally involved at that point with yeah. the, the full reunion ready to go
3: well what yeah, happened well, was in, in 2005 yeah. in the spring of 2005 <laughs> i got a call which by the way i just want to touch upon what we just discussed about time seeming so that was 14 years ago that reunion tour so I want to put it like this: When I was first learning how to play music in like '80, 80, '81, that 14 years from then would have been before Led Zeppelin was formed. So that's 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 time. Anyway, I always
1: think in those terms too, like going backwards and <laughs> somehow do crazy. Greg. It is. Don't do it, hey, Don't do it. in your mind.
3: It's very very depressing. But I know I don't know Luke how you got Sid gave me a call. It was the spring of 2000, late spring of 2005, early summer. Sid gave I got a call from Sid, and we hadn't spoken in a while, and he said, "Hey, listen." You know cbs is in trouble um people are doing benefits they asked us to do this We're only doing it if it's the classic lineup so if you're not if you if you're not going to do it we're not doing it alex is on board everyone's on board luke's on board walter's on board i was like of course i'm gonna do this man yeah, yeah.
4: This. so that's i remember yeah it was i because i was i was in tex i was living in texas <clears throat> i'd been living sucks in for austin me. for like seven years. That's another, that's another podcast. Um, and uh, I was playing in a band. We came, the band that I was playing in, we played at CB's. This was in early, like spring, early summer, something, 2005. Is Riverboat Gamblers, Luke? No, it was this band called Belorum. We didn't oh. really, we didn't really do much, but uh, we played downstairs at CB's and, and Wally came. And I hadn't played drums in a long time, and when I had left Gorilla Biscuits, like drumming was like the last thing on my mind. I was not playing well. I was like, it was. I was just kind of going through the motions. Um, and I remember that that was sort of like a thing, like, you know, well, because because when I when I when I was out of the band, it was I was just I was just fucking up all over the place. So getting getting like I think like he saw us play and I was playing really well and that I think um I think uh gave him like sort of like a little more confidence like we can kind of do this and I was yeah of course I wanted to play you know what I mean um it was it was really uh it was great to kind of like connect with everybody again and then we like all got together in like 2005 I guess that summer I remember we went up to uh we went to like Sivs Lake House or something. Like we went out, we went out there. We all kind of got together. It was really just like getting together for that reunion or for that uh, CB's benefit. That's what it was. Yes. It was really just like a lot of time had passed, man. You know what I mean? A lot of people had changed. It was just like it was way, way, way more fun. I think than anybody was expecting. And 100%. I agree with you. And it was like, we got in and we were playing. It was like, holy shit. I think we actually maybe sound better now than maybe we ever have. It was really strange. And then playing the show and the response at that first one was like, I, I had fucking goosebumps from like I was, the moment we yeah. started. I mean, all the way through it. I was floored really- because, sorry to interrupt, but I remember
3: we started Start Today. And it's CBs and that sound system is massive. And I just yeah. remember I could hear, I couldn't hear Siv singing. I just heard every kid screaming, what do you mean? It's yeah. time and I, I literally, I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it because.
4: Totally. Oh my totally. God.
3: You and know? I agree with you. Look, I mean, we're better musicians now.
1: Um, yeah, I think I think totally that makes sense to me. Like, and as a fan, like being like. We groove now, we didn't groove back then. Like when yeah, I. It, it, heard all these bands like gorilla biscuits today judge like in say the mid 90s or whatever if someone's like yeah like there's gonna be a point when you're pushing 40 and you're gonna be able to see these bands like play again i'd have been like no way man there's no way and then just to be able to have the chance was just incredible like when you know when when you guys came back I remember I went to the Philly show on the 2006 tour. It was the
3: hottest show ever. Holy it was, through. and and literally at yeah. like, that Starlight, point I had the name a, of that place. Uh,
1: Starlight, Starlight Ballroom.
3: It was yeah. like 1,012 degrees in there. I remember.
1: <laughs> and I had like I had to go. I had a newborn. My son was like three weeks old, but I was like I've I've never seen Gorilla Biscuits. Wow. I gotta go.
3: That's dedication.
1: Yeah, and like I went, and it was. <laughs> so it was, I brought
3: my three-week-old. He crowd-surfed. <laughs> <laughs>
4: he's okay now he's yeah, doing well <laughs> well, he's well adjusted, adjusted young man. well adjusted child <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think that uh that the the sort of the just total overall like reaction both you know like our reaction our experience everybody else's experience from that whole seabees thing was because we that was that was it we wasn't planning on doing anything yeah. i think after that And it was, you know, everybody was really, um, you know, just really being very cautious about whether or not this is a good idea to do. Um, Well, the first thing is Walter wrote at the matinee because of that show. Okay, well, we recorded it for the for the tour. What's that? We did that. We did that after that benefit. Yeah, but he
3: wrote that song. He wrote that song because of that show. Because it was badass. Badass everything was just such it was a special day and it affected everybody i i it, now that we yeah. talk about it it affected everybody in the same way i mean it was it wasn't yeah. just nostalgia it was you know th- that it was something different and and it translated to 2005 whatever and walter went home he told me he wrote matt the matinee for that and then not intending anything but for it to be like a walter schreifel song and then next yeah. year the, the the it took the steam started and how many times did we, did we abort the tour
4: do you remember? Oh when, my gosh. You look, do you, do oh you remember
3: sitting at a surf bar off of Bedford? I remember sitting yes. there with Alex Brown with his legs crossed, and he's just, and we had decided then that we weren't going to do the tour. And Alex, like, wow, it's fucking nice to see you at least, you know? I say, hey, it's just fucking nice to see you.
4: That's right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The surf
3: yeah, bar, yeah. they had the sand on the ground. Because totally. Walter, Walter lived in Williamsburg. and
1: Yellow uh, awning. Why didn't you want to do the that tour originally? I
3: wanted to. Well, we were look. It was we wanted to, but we were very we were very uh, really leery of 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 not doing it right and ruining the legacy of the band, you know. Because the CB's one-off benefit was just that was a, that was a benefit for CB's. Like we didn't get a penny for that. And Brendan actually came up. Do you remember Brendan, the doorman at CB's? He actually came up to us after and he was like, you guys, you guys made money for our defense fund. You actually made money for us, you know, and we, that was it. We did you know, that was very pure. It was, you know, save this club in which we grew up. That should have been landmark, but I don't want, I don't want to get into that. But, uh, (laughs) but then going on tour and doing an actual tour, uh, where it's not, you know, it's not charity and whatnot. And we we were worried that if we didn't do it the right way, it would really, Taint the legacy of the band, and it would leave a bad taste in our mouths as well. From a selfish point, yeah,
4: that was totally into the unknown, man. That was, oh, that, was yeah. that was a that was a big leap, and uh, we didn't use synthesizers. <laughs>
1: yeah. I got, I get it. I love <laughs> into
4: <laughs> the unknown, by the way. I love that record, All but right. it was, you know, that was that it was that was definitely a moment. But I think I think we were I think we operated mostly on the idea of. Are we having fun? Are we enjoying this? Is it feel right? Does it feel good? And, and like, let's go do it and just take it step by step. Like we didn't, I, I know we, you know, it was not like, let's do this tour and then this and this. Yeah. Let's do this and that's it and see where we're at. And very, very step by step. And we've all, and pretty much, that's how we've gone about doing everything yeah. even since then, you know what yep. I mean? I mean, we have no real agenda. We don't plan things. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't want. There's again. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it's basically,
3: hey, can you do this show? Um, yeah, I think I can time off from work. We can do that. That's cool. Let's do that.
4: But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and that I think um, I think a lot of that uh, hey, we're it's it's uh, music, but hey, there's Paloma. Oh, you won't Paloma, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> But that was, uh, I think that would that I think we sort of like um, in terms of when we started playing again, we came back sort of I think with the right intention and the right way of going back doing it. That um, you know everybody had other priorities in their life, whether it was you know family, other you know jobs or music or whatever. And Gorilla Biscuits wasn't going to be like okay, we're dropping fucking everything and going to go do this. It was going to fit in with what we were doing and we were going to make it so that it wasn't like a pain in the ass or a chore or I didn't want to be here. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And of makes it more you know, like, uh, like when you're first starting a, a band, you're not starting it to, with any agenda, it's just to play, to have fun, just on ab- a bigger ab- scale.
4: Ab- absolutely. You know, and, um, you know, gradually, I think, um, that, that sort of, uh, you know, just sort of that, that way of doing things um has really sort of um grown and, and sort of uh become integral into how the band works and um it's sort of indispensable. You know, I can't imagine doing this band as like um anything else in any other way.
3: No, it it, it, it works in its own its own unique way and uh yeah. I mean, I mean, my, my, in 2006, I was just, this was what I had going on. I was in between a lot of things in my life and I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Absolutely. I'm hundred percent for it. I mean, me personally, I also realized uh, how much I miss these guys and how funny they are. And
4: uh, you know, that was huge.
3: I have laugh lines because of these guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all, it's all. And it is, I, like I said, as a fan on the outside, you can, you can tell. And that's we why, like, other. I know. That's absolutely exactly
3: was... true. And that's the thing about sick of it all that like you we were saying before too, if you hang out with them, they're so close they' yeah. All they do is joke with each. First of all, like the, I always been calling it for decades now, the Armand and Craig show, they never, they're relentless to each other. And that shows you could see bands that don't like each other yeah. on stage. It's and
4: it's,
3: You want to leave, you know, and then you see bands that really do like each other and, uh, I mean, I, you know, I love these, these guys very, very much. And I love being up there. And, you know, my wife will always say to me, she's like, you're always smiling when you play. I'm like, well, I think about this. I'm doing something that uh, anybody who, you know, we all picked up instruments would be happy to do, but I'm doing it at half a century old. And people are still into it and it's touching people. So, you know, I get to stand up there with four guys that I adore and do the thing I love to do the most in this world, which is play the bass. Why wouldn't I be smiling? You know, yeah. why the hell would, like, that is every show I, you know, I look at it and I guess this is really worked out because who knows what's gonna happen with, with, uh, with the apocalypse. But uh, I always look at every show, as like, let's, let's play this like it's the last one and just appreciate it up there. And, uh, and if I start getting, I don't know about you, Luke, but if I start getting ahead of myself, I'm just like, no, no, no be here now. In this moment, oh, abs- now, and I'll just step back and just look at everybody and, you know, and just be, just, this is, this is your moment. This is it.
4: Oh, for sure. I mean, that benefit, that CB's benefit was like, I remember when we were hitting the last part of start today, it was like, like fully fighting back tears. Like, fuck, that was great. I've been waiting dead. for this for so long. Yeah. Like, this is probably, this is probably it, but like, you know, and so like, uh, yeah, I really um playing shows with these guys. I mean, you know, I'd say 98% of the time. <laughs> it's like that is, um, it, it's such a like, it, it's like such, such a special like place in terms of like um, my headspace, my heart, but, like everything. It's like, yeah. it it feels so like right in terms of like what i'm giving out what i'm getting like just kind of like i feel so much more like part of like the fabric of everything when i'm doing that um i don't have to like it's like feel very like on there's just a sort of uh you you just I don't know I I it's so present so living in that moment of playing those songs and being in those songs this and that's age too. This is the thing it's with one H. of the reasons why like those you know those songs I mean been playing for years and years and years and years. It's like it it never ever ever fucking gets old to me. It never seems contrived. It never seems like going through the motions. It's like that? it's a great i mean if i could conduct every other aspect of my life the way i do the way i kind of like can compose myself and feel when i'm like playing some of these shows or maybe let me let me put it let me put it a different way it's a really how i feel and what i do and what i go through and you know the entire experience of playing shows in that environment with this with these guys and this band is like a real like example um, for the rest of my life and how I sort of want to want to do things. Not every way, obviously. I don't want a bunch of fucking you know, sweaty screaming dudes running around my house when I'm trying to put the kids to bed, but.
1: <laughs> no, it totally makes, it makes sense. And it's nice, I think, to, to tap it's, into that, like feeling from back then. And like I was, and same thing as a listener, I was listening to, um, I'm, I love The Replacements. They're one of my all-time favorite bands. I was listening to a podcast where Bob Odenkirk, the actor, he -hmm. was talking about the first record, Sorry Ma. And he was saying how when he he listened to it, he was – and in the podcast, he's choking up talking about it because he says it brings me back to this place that, like, otherwise I wouldn't be able to, like, get back to. But when I listen, I'm transported to that same, like, you know – late teens, early twenties guy. And it's yep. like an easy way to go back there. And that's, you know, that's how I feel. You know, I know you guys are right here, but like, that's how I feel when I listen to start today, I'm still, you know, 15 year old kid that didn't really fit in at school and didn't really know what I was doing with my life, but I had that music and it takes me back and that's what i think is awesome it's time I, I, I
3: think i don't think anything right. i don't think any any medium can do that the way music does because it's it seems Absolutely, to be yeah. a universal experience that you talk about with people there are certain records i talk about this you know like victim maintain takes me back to a certain thing but even like um my wife and i were driving and 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 what's the story morning glory she put that on and it all of a sudden took me back i was like i am in london it's 19 it's early 1996 it's the height of oasis mania I'm having sensory recall of smells of everything yeah, and absolutely. you know it's it's and nothing can do that like music you know nothing can do like, like I said victim in pain it takes me back to my family's house in the summertime and I I can like there's there's smells that there is smells of of astoria in the dead of summer some were good some weren't good and you know it, he you know he's absolutely right about that and i i mean you know watching a movie that you loved that's one thing but i think it's different visually because the visual I, is there for you and it kind of corrupts your yeah. memory but if, when you're talking about just an auditory recollection
4: you're nailing it. it
3: triggers it triggers other senses like sense of smell the images you have in your head um you know, mu- nothing can do that like music i mean shit you know Wal- walter in 2009 he saw paul mccartney and he just said to me it's like it was my life it was a soundtrack of my life Every song that he played was the song. Here's the song that got me into music. Here's the song that I fell in love to. Here's everything. And and I really don't believe that
4: anything can do that the way any, any medium can do that the way music can. I really don't. I mean, Yeah. There's something incredible about all this, you know, music, this creation that you can't hold, you can't see it, you can't touch it. You know, it's just some, it's somewhere out there in a way, but it just, it just, it like permeates everything and it just goes straight through and like visceral. you know it it, it 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 absolutely it just goes straight to like you know the source and um that's the thing about music there's no visceral. and so be, like you're you know boat. right there's no you know and so you you get you get this whole sort of art but then you also like because because it's invisible in a way You you just, you have this other, your own interpretations and your own way that it it sort of like connects with who you are. And that way, I think music like is is something that while it's going to be like a very universal and connecting communal thing, it also like has this like incredible like personal relevance to everybody. And so, yeah, I think it's like, you know, I mean obvious you know some of the most powerful stuff and that's why and it's also there's something about I think the majority of people who are really out there playing music that most I, I mean yeah I mean there, there's going to be a lot of assholes out there but there's something about people who are who are putting a lot a lot a lot of stuff into just playing music there's something just I don't know there's something I think very like just just good about it just something just very like pure and like um like uh giving in a way i like to think so
3: i think it's interesting that of all all the the uh art forms you know music is the one that got lucky enough to be named after the muses you know like think about that (laughs) i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm like digging too much into etymology and whatnot but um no luke i agree with you i was just thinking about something else the other day my, wife, my wife's best friend was over. My wife is, is she's younger than me and, and we were just talking about, it. somehow Public Enemy came up and my wife's friend didn't know Public Enemy and I was like, you need to listen to this shit. This is like, so I put it, I put on, a, I put on Bring the Noise for her. And it Arthur was one of the original S1Ws. I was, I was <laughs> And I was the first one to go at it with Griff about his, his politics.
4: True.
3: But anyway, no, no, it brought me back and I remember when that record came out because that was like the first, I mean, you know, obviously growing up in New York in the 80s, you're exposed to hip hop, but I wasn't really big into hip hop. It was just, you know, a thing that was around me. But that record, Dylan Shrifles, really got me into that. And he was, and I remember Dylan gave me a videotape, a, v, a v, uh, um, VHS tape of uh with public enemy videos on it and i got so into it and so putting that on to show it to somebody brought me back to a particular time and and a consciousness raising that you know chuck d did or you know it's another one um uh rob bass it takes two mm-hmm. remember luke in 88 <laughs> that song you couldn't walk down the street of new york without hearing that song like at least once every seven minutes and that yes. brought me
4: back. That brought however me- if i had if i had if i had the scales and i put Public Enemy on one side of the scale, <laughs> and Rob Bass on the other ones, I don't no, think just, they would really balance
3: it out. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I'm not saying that that song affected me the way that Public but I'm just saying it was, it was ubiquitous at the time. So that's true. You know, I mean, it could be a shitty song too. Like, you know, it could be a shitty song that was always on and it brings you back or a song you don't like, not just not shitty because that's all, it's all relative. But um, it does it? It does. It really takes two to
4: make a thing go right. <laughs> <It> really, <laughs> and to make an sight for that matter.
0: Hey, speaking I'm, of songs, I'm not
4: internationally known,
0: but you're um, known to mock a microphone. Listen, yeah, speaking of songs, <laughs> uh, let's talk about hot tracks for this Gosh. record. Luke, what yeah, is you your can... hot track on the Gorilla Biscuit seven-inch?
4: Um, as far as well, let's
0: uh, like if what, you were to. If you were to, to give this hot track. record to uh, recommend it to a friend, be like, yo, you've got to check out this song, or what song would you put on a mixtape? Or what's your favorite song on this record to play? Well, just like what um, is, uh, when you think of the Gorilla Biscuit 7-inch, you're like, fuck, yeah. that song is a banger.
4: I think, I think as far as the, that record goes, I would probably say High Hopes. I mean, as far as playing song, I mean, even playing now today, that's probably my favorite song in the record to play. Um, the, I mean, when it comes, I mean, the way that, the way it kicks off with Arthur playing bass, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's, it's a hot track. It's definitely, it's a sizzler.
0: (laughs) Arthur, what about (laughs) you? What's your hot track?
4: Um,
3: it's funny. I was, uh, I'm with Luke on High Hopes and, uh, See for me, it's playing it now. See, the thing that one of the things is that that's fun about being a bass player is that there's a lot of room, and I play different things every night and uh, totally. different bass lines and whatnot. So, um, I would have this big mouth is a lot of fun for me because first of all, I like totally. the, I like the breakdown. I like to follow or try to anticipate what Luke is doing in that breakdown and try to follow with some bass fills. But from the record, I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna have to i'm with luke on this one high hopes because high hopes also to me if my recollection is right is the first song well at least my experience was it was the first song walter brought where i thought to myself this guy's a serious songwriter this isn't a joke anymore like this is a serious fucking song and that was
4: also yeah that was high hopes is also the first song
3: that uh that i was a part of it Um, was when i first got back in the band and it was funny because walter told me At the time when he wrote it, he's like, hey, you know, I was kind of abs- just choking and tree kicked me out and he was, and Walter being the eternal, you know, uh, the, the eternal buttress and happy, he was like, hey, this is great. Your life is great right now. And he's like, look, there, I don't know if he wrote the song for me or if it was just a convenient way of being a great friend like he is. But I was, you know, I was like, oh, that song's great. You know, I do have high hopes and fuck, he just wrote this song. How could I be upset now? Like, yeah. this, this band is about to do something. I, I mean, I really seriously, I, I thought myself, I didn't know what it would be. And nobody, nobody thought about that because it was just let's have fun and play, as you guys were saying. But that song is the first song that he wrote that it was like Walter graduated to another level. Like he went from, you know, he went to high school with that one. And then it would start yeah. today. I think he went to college and, you know, um, yeah, and it's still a great song to play. I mean, it's still fun. I mean, shit, for, for my ego, it's me. I get to go out there and, you know, <laughs> play the bass with nobody else around. And uh, But I always get nervous because I'm like, what if I start too slow or too fast? And then there are times, Luke, where I've, like, started too slow because I don't want to go too fast, and then I have to pick up when you come in. But, you know, it's hey.
4: you, you just do what you do. It's all good. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's a fun Don't song stop play. doing what you – don't stop being you.
0: so how about you
1: Javier what's your hot track
0: man my hot track I think is going to be hold your ground um Mm -hmm. it's uh it's a great hardcore song uh I like that the like thinking of the band playing it live and you know the the like punches and the um the lyrics I just think it's a, a really good hardcore song and um yeah for me that's uh the standout but I got to agree with both of you that the bass playing at the beginning of high hopes is just so recognizable and just like, you know, what's coming, you know, you know that you're about to hear a good, good song, good record. But for me, hot track, hold your ground. Greg, what about you?
1: I was thinking about it this week, you know, and it's weird to talk about a hot track on something that you've been listening to for more than half your life. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, Depending on the mood, it could be a different yeah. song. So, like, there's probably three choices I could make. You only like, change.
3: five songs? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I was going to
1: say, it's not GM2. It, it's, Come it's, on. Not, it's not GM2. GM2. But um, I'm going to have good. to say, I'm going to have to also go with High Hopes just because I think it's, it's to me, it, like, sums up Gorilla Biscuits. Like, it's, like, I love it. it's sort of like a mission statement. For, I like that. The band, like it has everything. It's got the bass. It's got the breakdown. It's got the melody. It's got the, the like, you know, sick drumming. It's got a little bit of everything. And the lyrics are relatable lyrics are to great, yeah. anybody, um, yep. you know, in a way that you couldn't necessarily. Even though like I love like Age of Quarrel, I couldn't necessarily relate to all those lyrics because I'm yeah. like a kid in the suburbs of Philly, not. You know, I don't think game. High Hopes
4: would fit so well in Age of Coral. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I don't think so either. It, would. it just has this like
4: GM2 would fit perfectly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's timeless and it just as it's something that's super relatable. Yeah, you know, Walter,
3: Walter understood that riding on a B, like there's something I got to ask him because I'm wondering if he got the idea to ride the B when he wrote that. <laughs> it
4: was just out of tune.
3: <laughs> no, from from uh, from Sally Days
1: because that oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, that's too. how you yeah. started off
4: now yeah
3: I yeah I've been doing that for years doing the harmonics for yeah. salad days and because you know I mean there's something about there's certain things like f sharp uh b there's certain things about these keys that like because you know uh new direction is in f sharp uh high hopes is in b there's something about writing these particular notes on the neck of a guitar or a bass that just affects you they're very they're just very strong they're mm. very strong and I, we walter were playing gets, uh walter we were playing
4: we, we were playing a show in. i want to say, i think it was in albany this was uh i think eric was playing bass and i still remember we we're playing big mouth and in the middle of the song walter stop 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 and before like pedal tuners and tuned his guitar <laughs> retuned his guitar i was like okay and then we got very pro <laughs> Meanwhile, and still everybody's like watching him tune his guitar. Like, this is awesome.
3: (laughs) There's a video of us. There's a video of us at Anthrax, the entire show from 87 or 88. I've never been able to watch it because I can't even watch until we go on. We all come out. And poor Siv is crouched on the side of the stage. You start banging away. I'm playing like fishbone slap bass. Walter's trying to tune (laughs) his complete and utter cacophony and you just see Sip on the side waiting and we're like fucking around for like five (laughs) minutes which seems like an eternity and it's
4: just oh my god I don't know how anybody watched us I don't know I don't know how I made it out of a couple of those shows without you guys killing me I used to just sit behind the drums like while everyone was tuning just bam 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 (laughs) Luke shut up okay Bam! 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 Luke, shut up! Bam. Oh yeah, yeah, I got it. bam! 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 bam. <laughs> we didn't have tuners. Luke, shut the fuck up!
0: <laughs> it's cool yeah, that you it, guys. It. It's cool that you guys have uh both tuners the now. records. Well, yeah, oh. you have tuners, but you have the records, and then you have YouTube now to where it's like a, a high school yearbook in a sense, oh, or a college yearbook. And yeah, you like you said, Arthur, you can not only remember these and laugh, but you can also watch them and I can't
4: get through it. Yeah, I can't I I can't
0: but it's there
4: watching newer yeah it's there and your kids can watch watch
0: it it or your wife or your coworkers or whatever, you know, and it's like this is me then this is a good snapshot of the time. And you know, like we've said about the songs, the lyrics, the the performances, (laughs) everything about Gorilla Biscuits has a little bit of a timeless quality to it and on our outfits and those are dated and a lot of well unless you ask someone like turnstile or angel dust you know and then it's like that stuff's coming back but um it's because of the fun it's because of the fun factor and you know there some of the seriousness went out the window and you can look back at these times and and know that you had fun
3: but we did we did handle oh. serious topics though. I mean that yeah. was the thing. We did. Oh absolutely,
1: yeah. especially yeah. on the full length. Which yeah, like I said, I want to save that area. for yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: I mean, hold your ground. A serious thing. Hold your ground was because Walter Walter and I in Astoria. I mean, it's so funny because Astoria is like this cool neighborhood now. That's it's, it's expensive, but it was very. Um, it's funny because you know Queens is just directly over the river from Manhattan, but it was very provincial back then. The the the, the mindset and. Walter and I would get abused all the time, and uh, there was, you know, riding our skateboards up tw- up and down Twentieth Avenue. Um, he won't hold your ground because, like, some guys were like really trying to hurt us. I mean, like throwing rocks at us, and one guy I was I'm, one guy with me actually. drove in out out of his lane. It was a two it's a two lane avenue, and I was going with traffic, and he drove into my lane to scare me i jumped off my skateboard and this was the kind of shit we did every day where these like guidos would just make fun of us and that's that's where that that's what you know the, hold your ground was like the experience of it's funny because you know after the 90s happened and whatnot now what you know it's, you dress punk or whatever you, you know, colored hair is just very normal but back then if you did this kind of shit and you you know you weren't hanging out just downtown it was it made people mad people were angry people didn't like it you know and uh you know, it brings out the worst in people. And I, uh, the, you know, the world is getting better. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a believer with each generation, we made incredible progress and, and you know, kids now are just incredible. I, I, you know, I love the young generation and they don't do shit like this. I mean, I'm sure they still do, but not to the extent that it was back then. So hold your ground was like a very serious thing at the time because that was our reality. You know, my, my reality uh, was waking up and going to school putting on a brave face because I knew that the kids that I was going to go in and I was going to get abused. I was going to be, I was going to be ridiculed and possibly be be beaten, you know, and uh, and then Anthony Carminoli came along. He came and picked me up from school one day, from Clancy High School, sitting outside and he was just soap spiked hair, leather jacket painted, 14 hole red Doc Martens, Levi's cuffed up just sitting like this, and I walked up to him and all the guys that made fun of me just kind of shit themselves when they saw him. Nobody even made fun of me after that. Uh, That's they, great. and the funny thing is though that Anthony's a big softy. He's one of the sweetest human beings in the world. He doesn't ever want to get violent. You know, he gets hostile and yells, but he never wants to get violent. And it was just his appearance. His appearance saved my ass for the last like the last leg of my high school life. But that was you know, that was our reality every day is waking up. And when you you know, now you think of it differently because your perspective changes, your priorities change, but when you're, you know, 15, 16 years old, your whole life is—you wake up and you spend it going to high school, and you come home and hang out with your friends or do whatever. And uh, or you so, wake
4: up and don't go to
3: high school. Yeah, <laughs> but that was—you anyway. know—stay was,
1: you know, in school, kids.
3: And Walter, you know, Walter was this—you know, Walter was no, you know, we—he wasn't none of it. Nobody in this band was a bruiser. We were just, you know, these dorky guys, and so <laughs>
1: we were just bruised. <laughs> I think I think that's actually just a, a great encapsulation of uh, of gorilla biscuits. I think that's probably a good good spot to to wrap up for the seven inch.
0: Oh man, what a awesome interview! That so that's our first released interview uh we have some other interviews coming up that we've already recorded that haven't been out yet but i guess listeners will just have to stick
1: around and check that out but yeah uh, make sure you sub subscribe on apple podcasts um you know follow us on instagram we uh at at where it went podcast so you don't miss anything um and by this episode we should also be on spotify so that's cool um, but yeah, stay stay tuned because there's more of this coming.
0: You know, Greg, we we've talked off, off uh, offline about what this seven-inch, you know, I guess means to us and means to hardcore. And I can very vividly remember walking into Noise 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 Records in Costa Mesa, California, and buying this record on green vinyl, which is fourth press, supposed to be mail order only, and. You know, because we're in such close proximity to Revelation Records, that kind of stuff could happen. And just pouring over the the layout and the inserts and all the photos and how cool everything is and how, like, the iconic use of the Birth Hold City font and the drawings by Billy and everything about this 7-inch is iconic, and timeless and like you know this doesn't have to be your favorite fucking record of all time but this seven inch is so important to so many people and i really think that needs to be recognized so would you say then
1: that this seven inch is essential
0: this is a completely fucking essential record like if this record was a person it would be a nurse in 2020 This is, like, you You really, I think that you should have this record or at least have a huge appreciation for this record. And if you don't, I like, that's cool, but I, I think it's, this is an important, crucial, and essential record.
1: Yeah, and I know a lot of, like, older people, at least from my experience when I got into hardcore, like, they liked this record more than the LP, which I don't want to spoil anything about the LP, but I mean there's people that definitely like this, you know, you I feel like you hear about Start Today a lot more than you hear about this record, but there's definitely a contingent of uh people that prefer this to the album. So, my experience isn't nearly as cool as yours cuz I think I bought it at Best Buy or maybe Siren Records. Let's lie and say I got it at Siren Records cuz it sounds cooler. Um and it was the CD. Was it the um, jewel, the jewel box, or the yeah? Slip it cover? wasn't the it wasn't the slip cover. I think I, I had the, the slip I think I had the slip
0: cover. Like I still have the burn one and the inside out one and a few other ones. I actually
1: like the cardboard slip covers. I think it's like a mini seven inch almost. Like I feel like now I would, but at the time yeah. I was real like particular about having my CD rack, like how people have vinyl. But Mm -hmm. I got the CD just because I'd heard the name, you know, Gorilla Biscuits. It was right before I'd maybe even heard about Civ because the Civ full length wasn't out yet. So I always internally debate of whether it was that or Disengage that I heard first, as far as like a revelation. You know, I know I talked on the old uh, first episode about knowing judge from that neighbor fateful neighborhood trade that I botched. But, um, I got the CD and I liked it. Um, but I think it, it, uh, it, I immediately liked it, but then I got into Civ and since Civ was a little more polished and a little more catchy, like I was more drawn to that until I got the, you know, LP and then we'll, Like I said, we'll talk about that later because the LP is a whole different animal. But um, I, too, think this is absolutely essential uh, for anybody that likes hardcore. If you like, I mean, any kind, like it's got elements of, you know, classic New York hardcore, but it has that melody, um, you know, of your seven seconds and Dag Nasty. And and much like you have, like I poured over the layout and stuff, too. And I remember looking like, Siv, that's a weird name. Like, that's just his name, like Siv. And then, you know, he's making that face on the back, like, like, he looks like he's about to, like, spit out water or something. And uh, I think Arthur's wearing an Instead shirt. And I was like, yeah. who's Instead? You know, and, and then looking at the thanks list. Um, a funny Shinfo, my first real band, uh, we were called Go Time. And Robbie Red Cheeks, bit of bow to bit Robbie Red Cheeks. Robbie, um, Robbie put out, our first seven inch and for the record release so this was 2001 we did a complete rip off of this seven inch like the you know the gorilla on it but it said go time in the birth old city font and we even tried to like mimic the thanks list but just put our own stuff um and then we covered uh high hopes and big mouth at the record release so that was really fun, and there's actually a video on YouTube, but it doesn't sound nearly <laughs> as good as I remembered. We play it super fast, like High Hopes is already like pretty fast, and we somehow played it faster. So, you know, I'll post um, pictures of it. I think on our gram when I find the seven inch, I'll dig it out. Like once some, this is out. Something else I want to point out: looking at the insert is
0: that it says special thanks to uh, cover art by Brian Clark photographs once again bj papas and layouts by alex brown and jordan cooper who gave their time and talent without payment so all of that right there to me speaks about the um, the diy aspect and the community aspect of hardcore and how cool that is and also again how iconic the art is the photographs are and Does B.J. Pappas have a book? Has she She ever made a book? Yeah, dude. Because Revelation.
1: Let get. Dude, how many of these fucking photos and outtakes? Think of all the outtakes. Yeah,
0: dude. Like, if I was a fucking publisher, I would put that out right now. I'm just putting it out there into the world because that there's so many from, especially from this time period, and that's just in the fucking four records that we've covered so far. I know, I know, and And it's funny too,
1: you know, seeing that thanksless and then getting. Uh, the H2O first album later. And there's that snippet of her saying like, I take pictures of these bands for nothing, you know, cause they're family. Cause we're friends. Cause they're friends. Cause we're hardcore or something like that. And it's funny. Cause you're like, it's true. It's in the liner notes here. She yeah. did it without payment. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, this was uh, a really great episode to record. Um, you know, so super stoked to be able to talk to these guys. The one thing that I forgot to ask Luke was the story about him sleeping on the label. Like, was that a staged photo or was that, you know, a, a, a tragic accidental still life? So, uh, you know, Hey, we got your number Luke and uh, we're coming for you with some bonus yeah. content.
1: One of these days soon. Yeah, we will definitely need to, that's a, that's a good one. Um, and yeah, there was probably questions, you know, there's so many questions we could have asked. But we didn't want to keep them forever. So if we missed any, everybody, sorry. But hopefully you enjoy what we have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So
0: next week, we got a big episode. Um, We have another interview that we're going to keep quiet until that's released. But next week, side by side, You're Only Young Once. Um, This was a, a cool episode to record as well. And I'm stoked to be able to unleash that onto the world. Uh, any other
1: bit at bows you got for today, Greg? Um, I guess well, besides the usual suspects, you know, we've, we've bit at bow to uh, Jason bit and Tim. And I bit know during bow. the, during the interview, we gave one to my friend Perry Shaw, who bit thought of bow. the question. Also bit at bow to Chris Wyatt. He bit was bow. the one that told, you know, reminded me about the first mix. Um, and I'll say bit at bow to uh, Jeff TDT. He supplied me with uh, some really cool pictures from his, Uh, collection to put up on our instagram
0: so nice all right well also
1: bit at bow to everyone
0: who's reached out uh in the past week to talk to me about how they liked subscribed and uh was already reading you know some of the positive reviews that we've gotten on apple podcasts and I, I will keep saying that I'm fucking blown away by the reception that we've got and how stoked I am. And I cannot wait for what the next fucking four years has to hold. Yeah. Revelation it's a way for, catalog. It's, I look at it as,
1: it's just a way for me and you to stay in regular face. I mean, we talk yeah. all the time, but yeah. to have face-to-face contact is pretty nice. So. Yeah, it's great. Cool. All right. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.
0: Later. Later.